everybody, and welcome to a new edition of the award-winning Talking About Cars, where it's all about everybody has a car story. From celebrities to car personalities to people that you may not have known are car people that have great stories to tell. I'm Randy Cardoon. This week, two car guys you may have seen on TV. If you've ever watched the TV news here in Los Angeles, you know Paul Moyer, the dean of L.A. news anchors. He came to Los Angeles in the mid-'70s. He's worked on all three of the major stations, KNBC, KABC, KCBS, and back. Paul left the news biz in 2009, but he hasn't left the car biz. And Channel 7's automotive reporter Dave Coons, who started off as a cameraman and enterprised some auto-related reports for the news. And guess what? It became a full-time job. Good for him. The only full-time auto reporter in Los Angeles. I mean, how great is that? So, guys, let's start with Paul first. What's the first car you remember? It began for me. My mom, uh, my mom had borrowed this old Pontiac. This was like, like in the, I don't know, 1950 or whatever it was. And driving around in that thing, we put the fuzzy dice on it. And it might have been a convertible. I don't remember. But I remember driving around and I, thinking, God, this is really neat. Mom, can we buy this? You know, or could we, whoever you borrowed from, can we just take it? Um, but dice the, the, well, the dice we had, we owned the dice. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, that was my first uh, recollection of really liking a car. And that's kind of how it started for me. Dave Koontz, uh, what was your first recollection of the car? Well, my first recollection, I was born in the San Fernando Valley. We lived in New Jersey for a couple of years when I was a toddler. And I remember the guy across the street from us had a Pontiac Grand Prix, one of those wide track Pontiacs, and he backed it into his driveway. And it had the eight lug wheels, and it was a fastback. And I would always stare at that car, and I thought, that's the coolest car in the world. And he backs it into his driveway. That's one of my earliest memories of <laughs> being fascinated by a car. So what are we, like a 16? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would, this would have been like mid-60s, and it was probably one of those 64, 65 Grand Prix. Um, and then, we, yeah, and then of course, when we came back here, we settled in the San Fernando Valley, and that was the king of cars when I was a kid. So everything from the muscle cars to the hot rods to we lived up in the foothills, so dune buggies and Baja bugs. And if you liked cars and motorcycles and things that made noise and went fast, the San Fernando Valley was a great place to grow up. Well, Torrance, too. I mean, you grew up in Torrance. Well, yeah, I, I actually Redondo Beach, Hollywood Riviera, which I got. I wish I had a house there now. But anyway, yeah, I mean that was that was there was a lot of car stuff going on there. A lot of at Torrance High School, a lot of kids had these old Buicks, and my first car was a '51 Ford, and it was gray. I don't remember how I got it. I had a paper route. I think I saved my pennies and bought it that way. How old were you when you bought it? Uh, probably not legal, probably 15, uh, to drive, to drive, yeah. What I did was, it was a nice car, I, I, I wanted a blue car, so I took it down to Earl Scheib. And you for have any, car. any car for 1995, I paid I paid 29.95. So oh, yeah, went for the good package. I went for the good package. It was uh, like a metallic blue thing, and aside from the run in the paint, you know, spots where it just it was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I had that and got my license. And the thing I remember about that car is that I used to drag race drag race the hell out of it. Um, sometimes legally, sometimes not. On Hawthorne Boulevard. The lights were spaced about a quarter mile apart. Perfect. So, <laughs> matter of fact, I think I raced you there. I think I remember that. And we we go out at night, really late at night, and you would you know uh, go from one light to the other, and you time it, and you look at the speedo when you went through the light trap, 
And I think I got it up to 70 miles an hour. I mean, that was just so quick. Wow. You know, and then we would go actually to Lions Drag Strip, uh, talk about history. And I drag raced it there. And again, any speed and the traps over 70 was hauling butt. And I think your ET was like 20 or something like that. But um, I enjoyed that. And the way we financed that, I didn't have any money. My parents didn't have any money. All I had was a car. My buddy and I would go through the neighborhood and knock on the door and say, would you like your curb painted? And they'd say, well, maybe. Well, you know, this is going to go for the uh, the prom at Torrance High School. This is a charitable thing. Oh, sure. <laughs> well, it didn't go to that. It went to Lions Drag Strip to get in. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway. Well, that's charitable in some people. Yeah, well, it is. It is. What a great place that is. It's closed now, but... Uh, you know, that's how it started. And your first car? Well, uh, my first car was a horrible 1966 Mustang. Um, I wanted What's a Mustang. horrible about that? Well, this one was uh, because I didn't have a lot of money. I was a bag boy at Dale's Market and uh, saved up uh, half the money, and my mom was going to finance the other half at her credit union. And I <laughs> found in the recycler this horrible 66 Mustang that I had visions of it being this wonderful car because it had the two-tone pony interior and it was a four-speed and everything else little did i know it had bad engine bearings a bad front end a bad synchro and second gear um the vinyl top was coming apart and the paint looked like suede um you know the the old all it needs is everything um so i had that in my uh, last semester of senior year of high school and it just kept nickel and diamond me to death and i finally thought all right i'm going to college i better get sensible and this one's not much better, but at least it was reliable. I sold the Mustang and bought a 73 Chevy Vega GT. Oh, yeah. Yeah, baby. So that was the hatchback, right? The hatchback, yeah. yeah. Had the rally wheels. Mm-hmm. I had BF Goodrich tires, and I thought I was styling. You were back you then. Were. You absolutely And were. I was probably the only guy in the valley who didn't yank out the four-cylinder engine and put in a V8, because that was the <laughs> thing to do back then, was make these V8 Vegas. But I'll tell you, I must have had the nicest Vega they built, because it never let me down. It had factory air conditioning that worked. Your it, aluminum <clears> engine? <throat> no, it didn't. I ended up eventually rebuilding it, because it eventually started using oil. But I, you could go down and buy a rebuilt short block for like three ninety-five again, in the recycler. Wait, these wait guys a would wait, advertise. Wait, wait, wait. You rebuilt it yourself? Well, I, I took it up. Part. I you uh-huh. got a I got a sleeve short block. I took the cylinder head off, took it over to uh, Northridge Auto Parts where they rebuilt my cylinder head. And then I got an Offenhauser manifold, and I got a Holley four barrel carburetor, and I got some headers, and I thought I had the. Where, where did you get that information? Where did or did you just say, "Hey, I need this," and they said, "Well, I I suggest this." Well, remember the super shops. Yeah. Oh, the super shops. You know, they had those horrible commercials. Well, they always had some kind of a deal. And so that was always mostly for small block Chevys. But also, if you went in there and said, I want the blackjack header for my 73 Vega, and they would look it up and they go, oh, yeah, there is one. You can get a header for thirty nine ninety five, or you can get a Holly 4 barrel for seventy nine ninety five. So I, I was able to soup this thing up a little bit, and it was still slower than anything with a V8. <laughs> but you remember, gas was going up, and gas was expensive, and we were going to be out of oil by 2000. And my father said, you know, you really want a four-cylinder car. So I, for that, for that reason, I kept it economical. I probably had the four-cylinder Vega that got the worst gas mileage because I had a four-barrel carburetor on it. And I was 
always, you know, slamming the throttle to the floor. But I had an economy car. You know, dude, but, but, yeah, back when I was doing this, I think gas was like 19 cents a gallon or something. We're, we're talking, you know, we're talking 50 Well, you got to remember, I first got my driver's license during the second OPEC embargo, and I had to wait in line to buy gas, you know, when they yeah. had that odd even thing going on. And it was frightening that, you know, gas was going up. and 39 cents. No, I remember paying about when the discount thrift, when the discount thrifty station opened, it was the first all self-serve station near my high school, and gas was 69 cents a gallon, and that was a deal because it was self-serve. You know, I remember the the, uh, uh, the gas problem. 1973. Well, 73 was the but first I, one. I, I, I hate to admit this, okay, but I knew a guy at a service station. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> so I would sneak around the back. Ah. You know, I look, I you know, I mean if you can do it you do it. So <laughs> so I did that but you talk about working on your cars. I really respect that. Because what I did with the 51 Ford basically is put three Hollies on it. Oh, we- yeah. Three Webers on it. That uh-huh. was about basically it. Yeah. And uh, went out and you know came back and tuned it and whatever and I had this manual where it showed you how to take apart the rear end and put it back together. Again. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to do it, but I did. Yeah, just to you see know, if you could do just it. Just to see. I had, you know, at, at night I took this light out and it was on jacks. If the thing ever fell down, it killed me. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I, you know, I was, a, I was a gearhead, sort of. Do you know that for my 16th birthday, what I really wanted was a Craftsman Mechanics tool set from Sears. And my parents got me one for Christmas. <laughs> And it had all the sockets, and because my little brother would take everything of mine, I got one of those electric engravers, and I carved my initials in the ratchet, the extensions, the sockets. Do you know I still have most of those sockets with my initials on them? And the rest of them are with your brother? <laughs> yeah, so, well, he, yeah, the ones he was able to scratch off. <laughs> now, we've all been in this business long enough that we started in smaller markets. We didn't get incredibly good paychecks. And the question is... Were you guys able to keep your interest in cars during those early years, or did you have to put it on hold for a while? Oh. No, I, 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 this was in Tucson where I started. I was going to the University of Arizona. And I needed money, and I always had kind of this interest in radio. You remember KFWB? And I believe, yeah, I believe I do. Of course you do. So my first job, and I went and knocked on doors. I mean, all the stations in, in Tucson, nobody does that anymore. But uh, my first job was opening up uh, KOLD, the CBS affiliate, on Sunday morning at 6 o'clock. And I would actually pull a lever and put the station on the air. <laughs> I remember that. Introducing the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and whatever, and then i do a radio show in the afternoon. But the answer to your question is yes. I was able to do that because I had the, the most bitchinest 56 Chevy you've ever seen in your life. It was Bel Air Coupe in college. And, uh, you know, I drove that around. Then I, then I sold that and got a 58 Impala, which I wish I had back. But, yeah, I always, I always had that interest in Sioux City, Iowa, and Peoria, and Pittsburgh, wherever I worked. As a matter of fact, and I don't want to belabor this point. Actually, I do, because this, sure, this is actually... Belabor or what? Okay, I'm going to belabor. Um, I worked in Pittsburgh, and there was a guy in Cannonsburg named Don Yenko. And um, I went down to ostensibly buy a Corvette. And he said, you know what? He said, you don't want a Corvette. He said, I'm doing these Camaros, and I'm putting 427s in them. He said, why don't you buy one of those? I said, well, okay. And he says, I'll put a special cam in it, and you can go race it. And I did. Um, well, I had a kid next door that was a friend of mine, and we would he, he was kind of did the work for him. We put the slicks in the back, go to the drag strip, and that damn car turned probably in the low 11s. I mean, it was just it was just fascinating. And the guys at the station, you have to remember, this is Pittsburgh back in the 1670s. 
what are you doing with that thing? Why do you have that? Well, because I love it and I want to race it. They, they couldn't understand it because they were, you know, Pittsburgh was 50 years behind. And uh, so the answer is yes, I was able to maintain that all the way through. Well, you bring up an interesting point is, um, you know, people don't necessarily understand in, in the business that we're in, a lot of people just get into it for big money. They'll drive around in Cadillacs, they'll drive around in sports cars and all that other stuff like Mercedes and that kind of stuff. But getting into those hot rod cars, not everybody gets that. Well, um, you're right. You're right. You know, you go to these car shows, and I've seen you at a number of them. I can't miss you because you're seven feet two. (laughs) Well, you're you're close. But anyway, um, you know, you see two kinds of people there. You see the the guys that really want to just show you that they've got the Ferrari. And, you know, this is really cool, blah, blah, blah. And then the ones I like, like the smaller car shows, you have guys who really care about these things. It's more the grassroots thing. And, and, and you know, and, and, and they just love having them. And you guys have probably both found this. A lot of people, especially when you get into the entertainment industry, and if you hang around in like a movie set, and from the actors to the directors to people, and a guy will say, oh yeah, I'm a big car enthusiast. And what you, you start talking to him, what you realize he's not really a car enthusiast. He's a guy who has a lot of money. And and can and, and can buy whatever he wants. So you know he'll, he'll say, "Oh wow, you you got the new uh, you got the new AMG uh, Mercedes. Is, is that the turbocharged V6?" And then they give you this blank stare. You know, like when you ask your dog oh, a no. question. <laughs> uh, let me check. I don't know. And and then you realize, okay, admit it. You're not really into cars. You like your car, but it doesn't mean you're into well, cars. I like the grassroots guys. Like you talk about, you know, taking apart your differential and drag racing at Lions. To me. That's a real car person, not someone who at the age of 45 suddenly went from being a barista to starring in a sitcom, and now it's like, woohoo, let's start spending yeah, some money. Yeah, but you know what? There is nothing wrong with being rich and Oh, no, cars. I, hey, I... You know, I, they're, they're, they're really, I mean, when you think about it, there's not a lot wrong with that. But you look at a guy like Jay Leno, and, you know, here's a guy who... I remember the famous story of him at Pebble Beach one year, and he was on the field, and there was a guy with a Rolls Royce, and the judges were coming by, and the inside hood release broke for that forward-hinged hood. And Jay said, oh, I worked at a Rolls dealership when I was a struggling comedian. There's a trick to this. Took off his jacket, mm. shimmied under the car, reached up by the firewall, and was able to pop the hood for the guy. Now, that's a car guy, and he, that's a guy who knows the stuff. You know, he is, and... Um I was lucky enough to park next to him at NBC for like 17 or 18 years. How I got that spot, I don't know. But they said, do you want number two? I said, I'll take it. Absolutely. Um, Part but, of the negotiations. Uh, well, I don't know. Man. But, you, but, you knew you wouldn't ding your door. Well, no, 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 no. But I'll tell you what he did do. I'll tell you what he did do. He had like a jet motorcycle, I think. Oh, right? I know the one. Yeah, okay. It, 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 yeah. yeah, okay. So. You know, I come in, I had a black Corvette at the time, and I came in and parked and went in and did the news at 5 o'clock and come out and go to dinner. So I came out, and he was gone, and there was this note on my car, and I looked I looked at the car, and oh, my God, it had this film, this film of fuel all over the car. And it was a uh, Jay Happy Face and a note that said, Paul, I did this, I'm sorry, whatever it takes, I'll pay for it. Well, you can sure as hell afford it, Jay. <laughs> and I thought, I'm seeing a new paint I'm job gonna here. Need, I'm going to need a new car, yeah, I think. But, but no, this kind of guy is. Yeah. And, and, you know, it didn't take much. He just uh, washed it off. But he knew, he knows about his cars. Absolutely. Any, every one of them. 
Now, I'm not saying that he does all the work. I think he's got a staff. He's got a he bunch does. of guys. But, yes, he does. But, you know, I'll tell you, I remember him, you know, when he first became kind of like the fill-in guy at the Tonight Show. Not only would I see him at the rock store every Sunday on a motorcycle, and he right. knows motorcycles, I'd see him at Auto Books in Burbank buying, you know, a, a like a, you know, if you were in school, it would be your semester's worth of textbooks every Saturday because he wants to know about all these things. And that, to me, is the ultimate, yeah, he's got the money, but he's also a car guy. And for those people who are kind of car guys but don't get as technical as he does, I had just bought a car about a couple of years ago, and I had it at Supercar Sunday. Mm-hmm. And he walked up, and the next thing I know, I hear some guy talk, and I look over, it's Jay. Mm-hmm. And he goes, so, tell me why this is this this way. This is that way. This is a... And I started to explain, and then I realized... Oh my God! I'm talking to Jay Leno, trying to explain mechanical things that I may or may not understand. He was te- he was testing you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so let me let me get back to what we were talking about with um, your situation. Now you started in the business. You were doing different places and different. Well, places. see, I I was I was a gopher, and I started out as a job at Channel Seven, and I used to take scripts and and but one thing I had to do is I had to have a reliable car because we had to drive people to store and go pick up tapes, pick up film when I first started, 16 millimeter oh, film. Oh God, you go back that far? So that's what, I was able wow. to, that's what I was able to start souping up my Vega because I was getting 22 cents a mile on a, on a generous voucher system. So, you know, I'd literally go to this cashier every week and cash in. So I'd rebuilt the engine on the Vega and then I had a friend who was selling a V8 Monza. Uh, the very rare, only in California, 1975 Chevy Monza was sold with a 350 V8. Now it had a little tiny Rochester carburetor, but if you could open that thing up, that was a sleeper. So then I had one of those. And then I bought at, uh, at an auction, I bought a Chevy 9C1 Impala that was a detective car with the Beverly Hills Police Department. You talk about a sleeper muscle car, the Chevy police cars in the, like the 70s and 80s were feared. And so this thing had an oil cooler, a transmission cooler. It had heavy-duty everything. And that thing got me to all over Southern California, and then I could have a nice car, you know, and and have it for, like, weekends and things like that. So I was able to sort of finance my car thing by having the reliable car, and then later I bought a T-Bird from Ed Arnold. Oh, you uh, did? He had a V8 T-Bird in the 80s that he bought new and, you know, took really good care of for a couple years. I bought that car, and, of course, I had to trick it out and put low-ring springs and Coney shocks and change the exhaust and all that sort of thing. Did you ever show it to Ed after that? Did you ever see what it looked like? No, but I I didn't change the look too much. I just kind of, like, tweaked it a little bit. I didn't. I didn't go crazy, but uh, but Ed had moved on, and Ed bought one of the first. Uh, when you remember the fourth generation Camaro came out in 1993, he bought one of those, and he had a Z28, and he said, "Yeah, I'm having my midlife crisis now." So he was terrorizing Orange County in that thing, and he'd left KTLA at that point, I think. Um, but it's it's nice to be able to have been in Southern California when maybe the traffic wasn't so bad, and you didn't mind driving all over the place and getting to know all the streets and getting to know all the neighborhoods and getting to know where all the cool car places were. Because you probably know, you guys both may know this, on Jefferson Boulevard over in West L.A. I think it's pretty much all gone now because it's become condos and, you know, kale shops. But it was sort of like Gasoline Alley. And that's where Dick Goldstrand was. That's where Traco Engines was. That's where Iskandarian was. And I knew which alleys to drive through and see kind of what they were. You know, you'd hear an engine on a dyno or something like that. So I love getting to explore Southern California and find all the cool car spots. Now, for those of you here in uh, Southern California who know and, and watch television, you're very well aware of Paul Moyer. He had been here for many years, started about 70, 
77? Came back to uh, 72. 72. I remember growing up and you were with uh, watching you with Tom Snyder back in the day and all that. And Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You worked at uh, several stations here and retired in 2009. Dave has been here for now uh, since about 2001. Uh-huh, doing on-air stuff. Um, but I worked behind the scenes for years, shooting, editing, and, and that sort of thing. And I remember the Channel 7 uh, little parking area out front. It was like, who got to work first, Dunphy or Moyer? Oh, my God. Because if, you Dunf- know, if that, Dunphy that, got there first, he you, parked his Rolls Royce. Uh, <laughs> but so you wanted to park your Testarossa there. So. Yeah, I, you know, I was thinking of that driving in here. You're very observant. Of course, it was pretty obvious. Stevie well, no, Wonder, I, Stevie I, uh, Wonder would have noticed it. I mean, first yeah. of all, I grew up watching him uh, you know, Jerry Dunphy, and, you know, I thought, God, I'd like to do that someday. And work, got, got to work with him, but um, it was so funny because he had a Rolls, okay? But what you don't know is it wasn't his. It wasn't his. No, it was the station. It had an asset number in the door jam. It was exactly. a company. It, was a, it had, a, had a company they, asset tag. They leased it, and they let Jerry drive it. So if Jerry ever got out of line... And he did occasionally. It was like, Jerry, give us the keys. <laughs> that <And> was a... <laughs> then he, you know, straightened out immediately. But I, I had this black Testarossa. Uh, actually, I, I it, was. It was one of the first ones in the country, well, wasn't it? Well, it? it was. I, I, the second, I think. And I got it from Francisco Mir in Santa Monica, who's passed on. Uh, but you know who had the first one? OJ. Really? OJ had a red one, and wow. I got a black one. And I. He got blood red, and you got uh, uh, you got black. Oh God! And here we go. <laughs> There's an edit waiting to happen right there. <laughs> but um, no, I I love this thing. Uh, the and first... you were the, you were the first guy I ever saw using the California car duster because this thing was black and there was so much surface area. And you'd come out after the show, and the thing would have a layer of dust on it. And you had the California car duster, and you would and you said. Do not laugh at me. I'm keeping my well, car clean, and you would dust listen, it off. And I thought, hey, you, that's a great idea. You you <laughs> cannot be an anchor in Los Angeles without having a clean car. Of course, you've got to. Have, but I had this, and this, this, and nobody at the station. Oh God, well, what is he doing with that thing? Anyway, you're absolutely right. They had a spot. It wasn't a regular parking spot. And this is on Prospect. And I yeah, love yeah. that place. I, oh, it's still there. It's it's nicer now. They fixed it up, actually. Uh, thank God, because yeah. it was a dump. But. <laughs> Um, and there was this one spot, and Jerry would park his rolls there. Well, one day, I guess Jerry wasn't there, and I had my black TR, and I said, well, you know what? I'm going to park my car here, you know? So I did, and then he found out about it, and you're absolutely right, Coons. It was like, I had I got to get in early and beat the dump. <laughs> and most of the time, I did. And then he figured out what the hell I was doing, and he would come in early. And it was there was a competition for that spot. But uh, hey, listen, I mean that's what happens in the business, isn't it? Well, it's also you know that place had a shortage of everything, including parking. And so I think you know if you yeah. didn't park there, you were going to be subject to door dings. And I would have nominated your Testarossa because it was so wide. You were always going to get a door ding. So I think you should have had that spot. Well. Guess what? I did. <laughs> I did. Oh, those were the days. Yeah. Well, I remember parking. I have a 57 Pontiac wagon. I know it. Yeah. At Columbia Square uh, when uh, we were located there, the KNX radio. I parked one day. Apparently in Harold Green's parking. Uh oh. Oh my God. Did not know whose spot it was, and then found out. <laughs> the hard way. Called from the front office. <laughs> 
Uh, Randy, you seem to have parked in either Laura Laura Diaz's spot or Harold Green's spot, and you must move it. Okay, I'll get to it. No, no, you must move it now. <laughs> and you said, wait, how do you know that's my 57 Pontiac Safari wagon? Exactly. It could be somebody else's. Most of the people listening to this don't have any idea who these people are. <laughs> well, and, okay, so going further with that, I one of my best stories from the prospect lot, and this involves Harold Green. Harold bought his wife, Chucky, one of the C4 Corvettes when they came out. Remember the white one? Uh, um, hmm. uh, like 85, 86, something Was like Harold that. Harold getting that much money? Hmm. Well, he got his wife a uh, he yeah. got his wife a Corvette, and I think it was you know maybe he drove it once in a while. And Doctor Art Uline, this mild mannered guy who used to come in, he he appeared on Channel Seven. He also appeared on the Today Show for years, and. Uh, he looked like the last guy you would a ever expect to drive a Corvette, and he saw it and he said, uh, "Harold, I I see you have the Corvette. I could I could I take it for a drive? You think?" And so Harold's like, "Oh sure, what the hell, you know?" So they get out there after the news, and it's like I guess there was a mini dock, and he was on the eleven o'clock news, so it's pretty late at night. So they jump in, and and Art Uling gets behind the wheel. Oh, this is really nice, you know. And they turn the corner onto Talmadge. He floors it. <laughs> He gets it up to around 70 on this dark, narrow street, apparently blows through the stop sign, and Harold said, I went from thinking, oh, my God, my car, to, oh, my God, my life, you know, gets to the end of the street, pulls a Rockford turn, comes blasting back down, pulls back into the parking lot, and says, gosh, Harold, this is really nice. I, th- I think I might get one. <laughs> and you, you have know, to kind of know the mannerisms of this guy, aren't you, Lean? But <laughs> I remember, um, and I shouldn't tell this story. Well, hey, I told one I shouldn't tell. So. Hey, kids, if you're listening, don't do this. Um, took my son for dinner in the TR, mm-hmm. coming back, and apparently I was going a little fast or whatever, and the gendarme with the lights mm-hmm. was behind me. And I said to Kyle, I said, no, I, it wasn't Kyle, it was, it was Dylan. I said, I can't let this happen. And I made a left turn, and I basically ran from the cop. Really? Yeah, this is true. And I figured if I can get the station, you know, he's not going to be able to find me. And I did. I got it. I, I, you're going to edit this out, right? Because that was against the law to do that. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure it was. With a Testarossa, I believe it was not against the law. <laughs> it wasn't. Were, were there helicopter chases back in the day? You, you know, I... Wouldn't have that been interesting? I always, I always told, I told them at Channel 4, I said, when I retire, I'm going to get in a black Ferrari, and I am going to leave them... <laughs> Do your own. <laughs> on a high-speed chase. And when I'm done, I'm going to get out of the car and just spread, spread eagle. That's going to be the end of it. You know, we covered so many of those yeah. things. Um, but, uh, no, it was Car good. chases in Southern California. And I know it's become like this running joke. And, and But uh, I'll tell you, and you know this, when they're on, the audience all tunes in, and it becomes this, it's the ultimate reality okay. television. You, you know, know, it's just crazy. I, I, well, but for a while, <laughs> Channel 4 had given up on it. They decided not to do them, and now they're... We, 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 we did. Paula Madison, who was a general manager at the time, came in and said, okay, we're, we're going to go highbrow. They're going to go low, we're going to go high, which is, I think, in the, in the uh, campaign I heard that. But, <laughs> um, and so we, we didn't do them. And, of course, you look at the ratings, it's like, we weren't on the air, but by God, they got a 20, you know. Um, and so, you know, for a long time, we didn't do them. And then uh, we started to do them again. But the problem with car chases, by the way, the other day, I'm doing some, the wife is in the, uh, the family watching TV. Paul, car chase, car chase. <laughs> 
Okay, Beck, I'll be right there. <laughs> but the problem with the car chases, and you know this because I used to hear you on them. Oh, yeah, I still do. Uh, car expert, Dave, how much color commentary? Yeah. You know. How much fuel does that car hold? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when, when are the brakes going to give out? You know, I got to the point where I couldn't, there wasn't another question I could ask about a car chase. There was nothing left. Yeah, so you got to use the old everything spike strip. I could ask. Yeah, once you've asked about the spike strip and the pit maneuver, you're the pit maneuver. Like, yeah. hey, look at the, But you know where the car chase is? It's the helicopter guy now. The anchors feel, oh, I've got to get questions. And no, you don't. Let yeah. the chopper Just guy do it because he's, you know, he's over the thing. He's right there. And the other thing about the car chases is and it becomes kind of a dangerous situation is if there's any kind of a shooting at the end and you're live on the air, then you have a problem with showing something right. really brutal no, to, to some viewers. And that, that happened to KTLA a number of years ago where they were tight on a guy who t- took his own life. And I think they had interrupted like that. afternoon cartoons. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Everyone wants to see it. But boy, are, are you sure you want to see the outcome? Well, and everybody will sit there and have it zoomed in, and then all of a sudden you'll see people pan out, and you're going, well, well what are you doing that for? That's exactly for that reason. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, do you miss it? You do know, you, you know, I do on occasion. Um, I don't watch a lot of local news anymore, um, except for car chases. Um, <laughs> when your wife tells you. <laughs> yeah, Paul. Um, <laughs> But I have started to watch a little KTLA morning news, and the reason is my wife likes it, and I know all those people. You know, I'm very familiar, which, you know, that that answers the question. People watch because they know. They feel like they know the people. Um, do I miss it? You know, the problem is it's a conundrum for me because I was a stimulation junkie, and I, you know, I mean, I threw everything I had into that job, emotionally, physically, and I would walk in and, you know, I mean... The the breaking news, the, the, the more hectic it got, the better I liked it. And I did that for so long that my body finally figured out, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. Not that I don't want to do it, but it's just really getting to the point where I didn't like the schedule going to bed at one thirty in, 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 at night. And so, you know, I, I said, okay, that's basically it. And I'm glad I was able to do that. But you go from that... I'll go, you know, next week, it's like, Beck, do you want to go to the deli? Where are we going to go for lunch? <laughs> you know, and, 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 and it really, really took a long time for me to get, I'm seriously, I went through, I went through some, some really tough stuff, but I'm at peace now. You know, like, and you know, I, I, and, I and what's what's great about Paul is, and and see, I, I love this because a few weeks ago we were at the Malibu Cars and Coffee, and uh, I thought I got there pretty early to get a parking spot, and we're in line for coffee, and here's Paul with his newest toy, <laughs> thinking like, cool, he's still buying fun cars, and he comes out here at the crack of dawn, and he's looking at cars, and I thought, all right, that's really cool. That now you don't have to go to bed at one thirty in the morning; you can get up early and go to Cars and Coffee. Well, yeah, you know, I never go to bed because you know they start at six o'clock, right? So if you want to get a spot, just stay up all. Night. You know, you got to get up at four. Well, oh. why, why go to bed? I mean, why not just stay up all night? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. sort of that's sort of the downside of being into the car hobby is it's an it's an early hobby. And I have a friend who has a few Ferraris. He's got a California. He's got a four thirty. He's got a three fifty five. He never goes to car shows because he doesn't like to get up early on weekends. He goes, look, I work all week. I don't get right, up before ten right, on Saturday right. and Sunday. I'm not going to a darn car no, I mean, show at yeah. seven a.m. Well, that is one. the problem. And that's why sometimes I'll get Supercar Sunday or another show like that at like seven thirty and feel like I've missed everything. Well, you know the one in Trancus, um, they used to start at seven o'clock, and about a month ago, two months ago, they changed to six, as you know. And I said to uh, Andy Cohen, the guy that runs, I said, "Why? What six o'clock? What's that about?" Merchants were complaining. 
about the car show even being there. Mm-hmm. Well, wait a minute. Why would they complain? First of all, they're not open. Second of all, people walk by and go, oh, yeah, I'll come to the syrup shop. I like yeah, the Sure, I'll go buy I mean, a cup I, of coffee. I didn't you know. really understand that. And I think one of the problems is that when the car shows are over, the guys get out there and just jump on these things. And it makes such a racket that I think that's the problem. And, and that's happened to numerous locations where they've tried to revive, you know, the one in Orange County, the original Cars and Coffee that John Kleinert started at Ford. He started it there because there was one at Crystal Cove, which is this really nice shopping center down south of Newport Beach with a Starbucks. And I think they have a couple of mm-hmm. restaurants there. Well, you know, you got a bunch of guys from the Lamborghini Club show up at 545 and they're revving their engines and there's multi-million dollar homes right up there and it was like okay you're out of here um so then it started there and then that one got oversold because everyone knew about it everyone wanted to go there manufacturers would bring their prototype cars there and it was supposed to be 7 a.m to 9 a.m every saturday and then it was like you know if you're not there by quarter to seven you're not going to get a spot correct and then it was if you're not there by 6 15 you're not going to get a spot correct and they got to the point where they just couldn't fit everybody in there anymore. It just became a victim of its own success. And so then they had to shut that one down, and then it moved somewhere else, and now it's it's bounced around. And I'm Supercar Sunday's fantastic because it's in this sort of semi-dormant shopping mall that there's you know not a lot of competing for parking spaces, and they do it Sunday morning, and there's not a lot of residences right there. So I think oh. that's what makes that one so good. Good place to do it, because shopping centers are disappearing. Well, that's what they're <laughs> saying. <you know? laughs> well, they're going to be down the promenade in Woodland Hills, which is where right now it was there. Supercar Sunday was actually begun at a little mall at the El Camino Shopping Center right off of Mulholland Valley Circle out in uh, Woodland Hills, or Calabasas area. And they started there, and just what you were talking about is the merchants hated it, because the cars would be there, Mm -hmm. and maybe the only people that would like it is the coffee shop that used to be there and then would sell coffee and donuts and everything else to the people. In fact, the guy who started it worked at that coffee shop, Dustin, who runs Supercar Sunday. That's how he got it started. Here's a good way to bring people in. Here's a good way to bring business in. Yeah, I like cars. Let's invite some cars to come by. By the way... um, (laughs) Just a quick shout-out to John Kleinert. He's, uh, yeah. What a great guy he is. He helped me get my latest toy. That's all I want to say. Okay. But, well, and and I don't know if you've ever met the guy or you know him, but for years and years he was the West Coast public relations guy for Ford Motor Company. And, you know, he came out here, I think, in the early 80s, um, worked for Ford, uh, grew up in the North Carolina area. And when he once he got out here, he had three kids in elementary school. He passed up promotions at Ford, said, nope, I'll, I'll want to keep this job and have my kids don't get their lives disrupted. And so he stayed put in the same job for a long time for his family. So there, there's a class act right there before you even get to how well he was with all the journalists. Which leads me to my next question. Uh, let's start with Paul. Paul, what's in your garage right now? My wife's uh, Lexus. <laughs> um, you really want to know? Yeah. Okay. Um, I have a uh, the Kleinert car, a uh, GT350R, which are the pretty hard to get. Yeah. And I got that. Um, I just sold my Ford GT, and I'm going to replace it with a Ferrari 458. I used to own one of those. I had it for about 10 minutes, and uh, I sold it. But I'm going to get it back. And my daily driver the is car, the no, no. I, I asked them if they could find it. It was triple yellow, which you know was was gorgeous. Um, the car that I drive every day is a uh, F Type R Coupe Jag, and uh, 
That's it, dudes. I had a lot of them, and you know how it is. You know, well, I think I'll sell this. I think I'll sell that. But that's it. That's my garage. Dave. Well, one of my the car that I will never sell, and this goes back to my childhood. I have a '65 Mustang that my aunt and uncle bought new. They had a T-Bird before that, a 55 T-Bird, and they, they were kind of frugal. They said, about 10 years, we'll get a car. So my uncle ordered this car from a Ford dealership in San Diego, and he was a claims adjuster, uh, ran the claims office at National General, and ordered the car with a four-speed disc brakes, the A-Code 289, the handling package, and he had a company car, so it was my aunt's daily driver, but he got to play with it on the weekend. So he did the Magnum 500 wheels and the dual exhaust, and they'd come over and visit us for the weekend, and he'd lay rubber down the block on Reseda Boulevard when Reseda Boulevard was rural. Is that the bullet car? No, no, that's another one that I have. So that was a car that I always wanted. So in 1992, I was looking for a Mustang convertible and found... Again, in the recycler, a 68 Mustang Fastback, 390, four-speed, disc brakes, GT, California car, black plates. And I called the guy, and he wants a lot of money for it at the time. And I said, uh, well, you know, I may come look at it. I'm really looking for a convertible. And I said, what color is it? And he goes, it's dark green, like the one in Bullet. No. And so that so that <laughs> kind of like set off the – it was bone stock when I bought it. It had white wall tires and everything else. So – I just had that car finally painted after getting damaged in the Northridge earthquake, and that's when I took off the stripes and everything else. My uncle calls me up or sends me a letter saying, oh, hope, hope you did okay with the Northridge earthquake and blah, blah, blah. He goes, by the way, I'm thinking of selling the Mustang. So the Mustang I wanted as a child was now available, and I'd already bought this fastback that I didn't want to let go of. So I ended up becoming, quote, this Mustang guy having two Mustangs. So I've got both those still. I mean, I would sell the bullet fastback for, you know, if the right crazy millionaire came by and wanted to take it off my hands. Um, and that 65 Mustang, I have memories of riding in that car as a child. I have a picture of me with a child. It's got a completely original interior. The 289's never been apart. I have a stack of receipts for every oil change that was ever done on that car, every set of tires, every set of brake pads. It was repainted in 1982 as a retirement present for my uncle with some kind of paint that you can't even use anymore. So the paint is now... 35 years old, um, and the car is just spectacular. I love driving it. It's manual steering. It's manual brakes. It's a four-speed. I just, you know, crank windows, of course. I just love driving that car. So I've got the 68 Mustang, which I uh, actually drove to work today. I also want, always wanted a Ford Bronco, and I bought one of the early Broncos 12 years ago. Not the OJ kind, but the wow. the earlier Jeepy kind, and waited and found the right one. There was a guy who'd passed away, and it's the and then the value of those things have shot up. So, so I tell people that you know my cars are my four hundred one k, and then I also have it's actually my wife's a nineteen seventy five Datsun two eighty Z that was a neighborhood car, completely original, forty seven thousand miles on it. You know, sold new at Canoga Datsun, never left the San Fernando Valley till we took it on a trip. And uh, so that's that's our little four collection of like interesting cars. Little co- what do you have a ten car garage? Uh, no, I have a I have a two car garage at the rear with a two car port cocher that that goes back to it and then I also rent a garage nearby. So uh, you know, I talk about OG my my uh, uh, two I would say grown kids, they're all grown, but my first two uh, live in Flagstaff. My son owns three four restaurants there and uh, he's going to take care of me when I get really old. Um, but my daughter sent me this picture of a white Ford Bronco. Ah, uh, yes. And the license plate says, not OJ, which is, <laughs> you know, in Flagstaff, I, I think that probably is, is uh, they can relate to that. I think they just tried to sell that. Yeah, uh, I think they did. Oh, you, they did? Now, you know, you know and, um, now, there were two Broncos, you know, OJ's, the one that uh, they had to take uh, DNA evidence out of, that was actually owned by Hertz. 
uh, a deal, part of his sponsorship. But then his friend Al Cowlings was so obsessed with being his buddy, he bought one exactly like it. So the the Chase Bronco, I think I think Hertz disposed of the of the one from the scene of the crime, so to speak. But the the uh, Al Cowlings, what, what did they try and get for like a million bucks? I built my boat. Yes, exactly. What did they try and get for that thing? Like a million bucks or something like that? Yeah. Oh. By the way, uh, the bullet car. Yeah. What do you want for that? <laughs> Oh, good. I found him. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm going to reel him in now. Yeah. There you go. Obviously, you're a Ford guy. Well, I, I not necessarily. It kind of worked out. If you're not a Ford guy, well, here, here, I know. I, that's the thing. Like, you know, I really want, and don't laugh, I really want a 77 Corvette because a family friend was a race driver, took me for a ride in one. I know that they're from the smog era, but I really want a black on black 77 Corvette. I want a 68 Charger 440 to go with my 68. Nice. Mustang Fastback. Um, I want a BMW 2002 TII, but I should have bought one of those 10 years ago because now they're crazy money. So I actually like a lot of different cars. Oh, I want a 71 Monte Carlo SS454 with the floor shift and the bucket seats and power windows. You know, where do you keep it? <laughs> That's the thing. It's well, like I want all these cars. Again, well, you have to have the space. You used to be able to keep it at Santa Monica Airport and hangar. Oh. But now it's going to close. And all these airports that have hangers of cars in them are getting rid of them. You know, you can't. Well, Leon Kaplan, the motor man, you know, he's actually got a plane, but he, in his hangar at Van Nuys Airport is where he keeps his toys. Let me tell you something about Leon Kaplan. I never miss <laughs> on Sunday. I love this guy, okay? But don't be fooled by this down home, you know, this guy. What, what if he owns a plane? He owns, what does he own? Some some uh, uh, car shops? He, uh, well, he has Lancer Automotive, which he's had forever. Well, there you go. And, yeah. There and you and go. so, you know, he used to do AM Los Angeles. He used to do, that's where I first met him. Um, he's got a he's got a very nice, I think it's a Beach Bonanza pressurized. That's right. Uh, yeah. That's right. Um, you know, he's, he's um, living well. I think he had a home at Lake Arrowhead for a while. But the motor man is the most patient guy as you know, if you listen to the show, well, I mean, because they, I, I'd be screaming at these people. It's like, why didn't you listen to what I told you? You know. Well, the demographic <laughs> on that show has got to be, you know, it's got to be me. It's got to be, um, you know, Leon. I got this old Chevy, and I can't uh, roll the window down. What do I do? <laughs> but he's such a terrific guy, I, and um, and uh, just a, just a gentle man and, and yeah. a gentleman. And I, I actually took him down to the Orange County Cars and Coffee one time on a Saturday. We went down there and. And we couldn't get 10 feet from the car, and it was like, you know, hey, let's go look at some. And everybody was running up and talking to him and asking right, him questions. Right. And, you know, but he's just so congenial and, and such a great guy. And, and I'm glad that we both have gotten to know him over the years. I got to know him Channel 7 because where I met him. Yeah, he, yeah. You know, he did well, stuff there. He did. We AM. actually took an engine apart on the air. I oh, think. is that right? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we do a segment. I come down and sort of, you know, talk to him and anchor it. Supervise. And learned so much from him. Yeah, and then he did the home show for a number of years, and that was on the lot there at ABC. And uh, he was discovered by Elmer Dills. Oh, no and Elmer Dills had a show. Uh, he was a restaurant critic. I, I became pretty good friends with Elmer because I used to shoot a lot of his segments for the news. And and Elmer had a had his restaurant show on Sunday, but on Saturday he had a magazine show. And he'd have these different experts come on, and one of them was Leon Kaplan. And the funniest story Leon ever told was, he said, okay, the, well, the show starts at 6. I'll have you on about 6.45, and it's, you know, KBC down on La Cienega. And Leon says he was, he'd never been on any kind of air before. He hadn't been on radio, hadn't been on TV, didn't sleep all night, woke up at 4 a.m., you know, showered, shaved, put on a suit and tie, comes down to this radio station, there's like no one there. Elmer's wearing like pajamas and flip-flops. He's looking at him like, what are you all dressed up for, you idiot? And, you know, it's radio. Elmer and, and I... <laughs> you I, had a great time with Elmer. Oh, I, listen, I did a show called Eye on L.A., 
which really should have been called Eye on the World because we traveled really all over the world for that show. And that was back in the day before Cap Cities bought ABC. And, you know, it was like they spent money like, well, hey, Paul, you want to go first class? That's fine. You want to take Becky along? No problem. So we spent three weeks in China uh, with one crew, one producer. And I did a lot of the news stories. Uh, and Elmer did the food. Mm-hmm. And you know what they eat in, in China, at least they used to, is, uh, you know, dog, cat, stuff like that. And I had vegetables and rice the whole time. <laughs> but Elmer, <laughs> Elmer was so much fun to be around. And I remember one night we were in Hong Kong, and Elmer and Paul went to the bar. Uh-oh. Now, I'm not, you know, I don't do that a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it was, a, it was a, a topless bar, whatever it was. Oh. <laughs> we, I think they asked us to leave... And we got in a cab, and neither one of us can remember where the hell the hotel was, um, what it was called. So eventually we found it, but uh, I loved him. I really, really loved him. And he was around for a long time. Absolutely. No, he was, he was a great guy, and, and uh, you know, he had, a, he had a whole other life before he was even a restaurant critic. He was in the CIA. And so Elmer always claimed that he gave Leon Kaplan his start and Bill Handel his start, because he had Bill Handel on as his like legal guy so um leon always mentions that he always thanks elmer for giving him his start in radio and he did tv he was on the home show uh, vin debona took a liking to him and um and leon did some uh, some syndicated stuff for a while but he's still on every sunday and he's answering the same questions basically oh yeah you know yeah. my car goes rrr, 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 what do i do you and know? They, <laughs> he tells these just god-awful jokes well yeah just, you know, that's part I mean, of the shtick and he also yeah, yeah. the other thing he does is that he gets in trouble for this i'll say what do you think this will cost to have my uh, you know i need a new this and that he goes i'd say about eight hundred dollars and he'll go plus tip you know, because he's a mechanic and he's kidding, but he has people writing these, you know, letters. How dare you? They charge so much money. What do you mean? I have to tip the mechanic now. I got to tip everybody else. All the people that are actually sending in money. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Paul, back to automobiles. The top five cars, you mentioned something already that you're going to get. Uh, you're looking to buy another car. What are the top five cars on the the big list of cars you would like to get the paul moyer list of cars i would someday like to have anything steve mcqueen owned is i mean seriously i i would love to have i know a guy that did a lot of work on his cars and chad his son through chad uh, uh, regalia mike regalia yeah and he ended up with those cars he uh, had that brown luso that he sold he had the brown. you know interesting thing i i well you used to the palace Furniture concord oh right? yeah yeah and I was uh, got to be uh, John, uh, uh, Grand Marshal one year, and, and the uh, guys are coming up. They've won the prizes, and he drives up in the Brown Lusso. And I looked at that thing, and I don't like brown cars. But I love that car. It was just gorgeous. I said, so Mike, he was for sale. And I said, so Mike, well, what is, what's this thing worth? Well, you know, Paul, it's 600 grand. Well, you know what he got for it at auction? Two point something million. Two point something million. Yeah. Um, I, the uh, my wish list would begin with two or three of the cars I want back. Seriously, um, I, I would I would kill to get those cars back. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, well, well, you mentioned the '58 Chevy earlier. Well, that the Impala, yeah, but these were a couple of Ferraris that uh, unfortunately let go too soon. But you know that's how it is. You know, well, you know, we'll sell this and we'll sell that one. Um, uh, probably uh, Porsche. What is it? The nine, 918? Oh yeah, who wouldn't? Sure, 
like to have one of those. Like to have one of those. We did uh, an interview on talking about cars on video and in one of those. That was incredible. And the Yenko. Um, I I would love to have. Uh, my Yenko from Cannonsburg through Don was Hugger Orange, and a couple of years ago I thought, you know, I want to I want to I want to get that back. Well, I didn't get that car back, but I found one the same color with white stripes back in Chaska, Minnesota, and beautifully restored, and bought it. And uh, unfortunately, sold that too soon. But uh, basically, I want all my I want all my cars back. You know, I, that's that's what I want. And, and how about the latest Ferrari? You know, every year they come out with a new one. Give me one of those, and uh, I'll be happy. You know, I'll be happy. Oh, uh, '67 Corvette. I had a, I had a, a red red 400 air coupe. Uh, I want that back too. But. <laughs> All right, everybody listening, if you've ever bought a car from Corvette, yeah. he wants it back. That's right, and I'm not going to pay you. I'm going to pay you what you know what yeah, I sold I'll, it for. Ten percent on top of what I sold it right, for. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> car you were talking about that you wish you could get back. Well, none of the cars I had before were any good. Um, you know what I would love to find, and this is a car that I don't even remember, but my grandfather, who was an engineer at Lockheed, my mother's family moved here after World War II. He was an engineer and worked at Lockheed as a senior quality control engineer. One of his colleagues left and went to work for Volkswagen in the late 1950s, said they had some big drunken going away party. He said, can I, can I send anybody anything from Germany? And my grandfather said... Yeah, I'd like a Carmen Ghia, those new Carmen Ghias, but they're too slow. I'd like one with a Porsche engine. Ha, 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 ha. Six months later, he gets a telegram. You need to wire me the money. We just built your car. And apparently they were considering doing like a skunk works. So he had to send the money. He had to go down to San Pedro. The thing just came on a pallet with Cosmoline all over it. And I, I guess it was like a skunk works car, but it had the little pea shooter exhaust. It looked like a stock Carmen Ghia, but this kind of dumpy Englishman with, who smoked a pipe would blow past all the other Volkswagens and Carmen Ghias. It got traded in in Atlanta when he was transferred there on some Triumph. And I even put a you know word out on the forums for Carmen Ghia. Does anybody recognize this car? It was red with a white steel roof, and I'm sure the car was sold to a teenager and wrapped around a tree, but... I would love to. I'd love to just collect the cars that I remember from my child. My grandmother had a '68 Cougar XR7 that got away in order. I'd love to have that car. You Did know? the teenagers survive the crash around the tree <laughs> in a Carmen Ghia? Are yeah. you kidding? <laughs> You'd be. It'd be your coffin, also. I think. Oh God! <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, of course, some of the people like to have cars and drive cars and do things. And of course, remember the late great hat over our heart, Toyota Pro Celebrity Race. Now, for some of you who don't follow it, there was a time, and it stopped uh, in 2016, but for many years, 40 years if I'm not mistaken, they actually had celebrities come in and race these Toyotas, specially made Toyotas, and they'd run them at the Long Beach Grand Prix. And we were lucky, or at least some of the people here in Southern California in the Los Angeles market, they run radio personalities, news anchors on TV, all sorts of sports guys. They'd have a chance to do it. I'm still waiting for my first invite to for mine. But, Paul, you got a chance to do it, and you are the only guy who ever one from the news ranks. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. You know, uh, the first time I, I raced was 83, and we got to train at Laguna Seca in Formula Fords. Rick Dees was there, um, some actor whose name I can't remember, but four days at Laguna Seca. But the problem was I really sucked in the race. I came back, and I didn't have time to learn the track because Dennis Swanson wouldn't let me do it because I had to work, and uh, went out for the race and finished dead last. 
It was horrible. Um, so, you know, that that didn't work. But they invited me back in 88. And we went to Willow Springs to train. And Danny McKeever with Driver's Connection. I'll never forget him. I think he's still around. And at the beginning, I was kind of a middle-of-the-pack guy, you know. But in the classroom, I listened. And I asked questions. And, you know, over time, I got a little faster, a little faster, a little faster. And I qualified first for the race. Now, they put some of the, the, the previous winners in the back. By the way, Jason Bateman, mm-hmm. that kid could drive. He was a kid then. He could drive the wheels. He was so good. But they put him in back, which is great. So the, red, the green flag drops, and Dwight Clark, the football player, and I, I'm the pole. He's next to me. And... We just took off, and I got in front of him, and it was, you know, like this. Leno was apparently all over the track, and because of the problems, kind of held the other guys back. So Dwight Clark and I, you know, uh, we were right together. And the sixth lap, I would pull him on a certain part of the track, and he'd pull me. And the sixth lap, I think it was, he tried to pass me, and he bumped me. And I saved it, and he didn't. He spun. And I'm looking at the review. I'm saying, Jesus Christ, I'm going to win this. <laughs> I mean, by default. So I slowed down. Bad idea. The last lap, I look behind me, and there's a car that's coming up pretty fast. And I look at the name on the windshield, Gurney. I thought, oh, I'm in big trouble. Oh, I heard that guy's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I don't believe in the story. But, but uh, I, uh, I pulled him on the hairpin, and I won the race. And i got to tell you something. That probably was the biggest thrill I've ever had in my life. Seriously. Um, you take the victory lap. I got done. I got out of the car, and there were like 10,000 people standing. And I'm going, oh, my God. This is, you know, I mean. Then you take a lap with Gurney in a truck, and you're waving to people. I'm thinking, I'm doing this with Dan Gurney. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and it was it was so magnificent. It was just so marvelous. And the next year, of course, I came back as the previous winner and uh, passed Jay Leno on the first straight, and he bumped me and put me in the wall, and that was it. <laughs> Thank you, Javer, and I remind him, oh, you know, Paul, that's we were just why, ha- And that's why he covered your car with yeah. exhaust from his motorcycle. We were just having fun. You know, it was fun, right? You know, you know Jay, it really wasn't fun for me. <laughs> But no, it was it was. Thank you for bringing that up, and uh, you know, I appreciate it. Wow, that's kind of Randy. Cool. There could be another celebrity race if the race gets a new title sponsor. So you know, I'm going to suggest your name. So. I think we should both do this. You, know? you should in the same car. Yeah, in the same car. <laughs> you know, Dallas <laughs> Reigns. Dallas Reigns is a car guy. Oh and, yeah. You know, after I did that, he was just oh please, I want to do it. You let Moyer do it. I want to do it, and he did. The funniest thing with Dallas was we were I was down there one day and, and they're doing the practice day and so there's Dallas and they had a bunch of Toyota mechanics and the way they used to do it was they had a contest nationally and if these dealership mechanics Correct. if they won something they'd get they'd fly them out and they'd get to be the pit crew for these you know they were basically Celicas that were kind of tweaked a little bit and so here's Dallas he's going down the front straight and you, he's on the rev limiter the entire way and, and the, the guy puts his hand over his face and he goes. We keep telling him the red limiter means to shift, not just to stay in the rev limiter as long as you want. We've already replaced the engine in the car because he won't stay out of the rev limiter. You know, the about Channel 7 uh, weather people, short of Dr. George, mm-hmm. all car guys. I mean, Dallas, I think Johnny Mountain was. Uh, guy at one point. Johnny yeah. was kind of a car guy. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Johnny had cars that he went through phases. So he would say, he you know, Johnny would, he'd look at me and he goes, uh, you know what? There's this uh, 58 Rolls Royce. I always wanted a 58 Rolls Royce. And he'd, he'd buy the damn thing and, and he'd drive it for three months. And then, Johnny, what happened? Uh, you know what? I always wanted a 65 GTO. And then he'd buy one of those. And then, it's, Johnny, what happened to the GTO? Uh, you know what? I always wanted a 74 Corvette. And so he went through a lot of cars, but I don't know that he ever actually, you know, even bothered to have them washed. Well, he, uh, he uh, one day decided he wanted a Porsche Turbo. And because uh, I, I had one, and he, he wanted one, so he went down to was it Ogner? Oh I think yeah, it was Ogner. The, the Ogner brothers. I think yeah. John lived in Pasadena. Yeah. yeah, and he went down to get this Porsche Turbo, a black one, unbeknownst to his wife, didn't know anything about this. And John goes down, makes the deal. Right, you probably heard this. Buys the turbo, comes home. She takes one look at that thing and she says, "Take it back." <laughs> What do you mean? Take it back. Took it back and they rewound the deal. Wow. I mean, yeah. I mean, John, come on. Don't let her. Well, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, good I luck with that. I, yeah. I, you actually, know, a, I actually saw him about a month ago driving his Dodge Challenger Hellcat. So you wouldn't recognize him. I had to squint because he has a beard. I've and he's heard got that. bushy white hair. He looks like uh, Reverend Gene Scott a little bit. He also took off. He's, he's not here anymore. He up and left. Well, he was in, he was back in Pasadena. Maybe his kids still live there or something. But he was driving a Challenger Hellcat, so he's still got a little bit of a lead foot. I think John went back to Tennessee, if I'm not mistaken. Well, wait a minute, the Hellcat. Haven't they got one that's faster than now, that? Now, now there's the Demon. You got to get that one. The Demon. Now you know i You know what it is about that is you're going to have kids, young people, buy that thing. Not for the prices they're charging. Well, maybe not. And I yeah, hope not. But yeah. you put you put uh, you know young man in that thing, and he's he's going to wrap it around the tree. Eight hundred and forty horsepower. Apparently, you have to sign quite a uh, quite a, a contract. You know, I will not do this. I will not do that. It comes with drag radials. I will not ever drive it on wet pavement. Why have the car? There's a lot. Uh, well, take... I, for the first time, I've ever felt really like a wimp. I went out and just recently bought a Challenger RT with shaker hood. Yeah. Which is a nice car. Yeah. Okay, so I'm sitting at a uh, Sharky somewhere mm-hmm. talking about it with my wife. See, I learned. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sitting here talking, and a guy's behind me, and my wife keeps looking over my shoulder, and I couldn't figure out what that was about. But he came around and said, hey, I just overheard. I don't mean to interrupt, but uh, you got to get the shaker hood. I said, yeah, okay, thanks. Appreciate that. He says, I've got a Hellcat that we're going to take over. And what's the play? Hennessy? Oh, Hennessy yeah, Motors Hennessey. in Texas, yeah. yeah. Taking it to Hennessy. I said, well, what are you going to do with it? He says, oh, I'm going to really get this and put this and high performance this, and I'm going to have 1,100 horsepower. <laughs> and I went, excuse me? He says, yeah. And I said, I assume you're racing it. Oh, yeah, I'm going to race it. But we're also going to drive it on the street. No, he's not going to race it. He's going to take it to Starbucks. He's going to be in traffic. You know? He's going to be in traffic oh, yeah, on the one hundred and one. Yeah, yeah. He's going to take it down PCH where he can't move. Right? Initially, I thought, okay, Hellcats are not for everybody. Mm-hmm. I love the design, but what am I going to do with seven hundred seven horsepower on city streets? Basically, let the thing sit in traffic and you know burn up gas as it is. I figured, okay, well, what's the, if I can't if I'm not going to look at seven hundred seven horsepower? What is a guy with 1,100 horsepower on the same car going to do? And that's just, like, mind-boggling what's happening. Well, you know, if you sit there and it's really cool, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's... Yeah, good point. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely good point on that. Absolutely good point. So, anyway, those those are some neat cars, and these are some great car stories. Thanks, guys, for coming in here today. And I, and I think, before we let you go, I'm I'm always interested in stories of growing up with cars. Like, for example, Dave, 
what's what did you do in your parents' car that maybe your parents to this day still don't know you did? One of the f- funnest things I ever did, and you probably know this, my dad had a company car. It was a 1977 Chevy uh, Caprice or Impala. And with the GM air cleaners of the day, if you undid the wing nut and flipped over the lid and then put it back down, you basically had a budget Moroso air cleaner with an open element. And it didn't sound any different until you opened the secondaries, and this was a 350. And so I'd done this because my friends and I were all doing it to our parents' cars. And so I think I had my learner's permit, and we're driving up, and, and we're up in kind of rural Northridge, and the light was about to change. I thought, well, I better step on it to go through this yellow light. And the sound of that flipped over air cleaner was with the quadrajet was, and my dad, what the heck was that? And his eyes got big as saucers, and I said, what? You know, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think I had to fess up later. I said, "Well, Dad, it's for increased fuel economy. You know, you get more air in, and uh, it's better for gas mileage." The old <laughs> fuel economy line. Yeah, that kind of works. <laughs> what about you, Paul? Oh, you know, this is kind of boring. We had a station wagon. You know, and I, I used to go out and. What kind? What year? Oh, uh, God, I think it was a Rambler. On the, I, I'm trying, not a Rambler. It was like a. Did they make a station wagon? Yeah. Oh sure, oh, yeah. that's what it was. Well, not not anymore. No, no. And I, you know, I mean, I just used to, you know, take it out and go as fast as I could around corners and do that kind of stuff. And they never knew that. But uh, much more boring than your. Than your well, story. I thought mine was kind of boring. But if anyone's ever flipped oh, over that yeah, air cleaner well, thank lid, you, Dave. I thought mine was, but Paul's really was boring. By the way, you you're very technical. You know a lot about this stuff. I just make it up. You know, that's that's kind of what we used to do, isn't it? I had a news director one time, Bob Long. Did you know Bob? I know. He's before my time. Oh, that's oh, yeah. yeah. Wrong station then, yeah. He was one of my favorite guys. He, he's Is he the, the guy one... with the bow tie? Yes. Yeah, okay. I've, I've met him, I think. He's passed on, but he let us do the investigative stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank Snepp and I, that's great. But <laughs> Paul, if you, yeah, here's one piece of advice. Don't make stuff up. <laughs> Okay. Let me write that down. Yeah. Too. I said, okay, Bob, I won't. Of course, today they sometimes do that, don't they? But anyway, that's all another story. Yeah. Well, they don't do that on podcasts. It lowers the listenership. Of course. So, anyway, guys, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming in and telling us some of your car stories. And I think a lot of people, uh, Dave, of course, we know where to find you. You're going to be on Channel 7. And, uh, in fact, I'm going to do a social media photo before we leave so uh, we can share on Twitter Absolutely. and uh, Instagram, abc 7 Dave Coons. Absolutely. And Paul, uh, we'll just see you out there on all the Malibu car shows. Yeah, I'll be at the Malibu. I'll be at Izzy's Deli. Um, you know, I'll be at, I'll be at uh, yeah. That's Does Izzy still have the Paul Moyer sandwich? I went, yes. in, I went in there one time and I opened the menu up and it says, you know, it's the Paul Moyer. <laughs> no, you, you know, it's funny. I, I don't know. I can't, I can't remember when he did that. <laughs> But I, that was a long time I didn't go to Izzy's. I mean, they were, you know, for a couple of years, and I came back and, hey, Paul, I said, Iz, do you still have me on the menu? Oh, yeah. I said, good, thank you. What, what is the Paul Moyer sandwich? It's, no, it's, a, it's Paul Moyer's favorite salads. I see. And I don't know any of them. What's well, in the Paul Moyer's favorite salad? Well, you can get a tri-salad. You can get tuna, turkey egg salad. You know, you mention my name, you, you know, get it for half. Um, you can get a Caesar you can get, he's got the best Cobb salad. You wouldn't think this deli would have Cobb salad. You can get that. Um, yeah, so you can get some good stuff. Oh, that's very good. Talk, talking about delis. <laughs> if you had a sandwich, what do you think would be in it? Oh, you know, I'm a sucker. You know, when I was a kid, my mother had a Triumph TR4 convertible. And one time, took my brother and I had a tiny nailers on the Sepulveda Boulevard. They had car hop service. And she thought, 
I know. I'll order a club sandwich. They cut it in four pieces. I'll give one piece to each of the boys, and then I'll have the other two. Well, apparently, I fell in love with that sandwich and wolfed it down, and so she got stuck with only one. I had two at the age of, like, seven. A good club sandwich, if you do it right, you know, with the real turkey and the toasted bread. Mm, There you go. I really love it. As a matter of fact, I had one before I came over here. Marie Callender's across the street. Right. A good tuna melt. Love the tuna melt. And in and out Burgers. I mean, you know, when my wife and I take these long trips to Flagstaff, it you know, it's planned where the in and out Burger is. But, uh, yeah, those are my two. I worry that a Randy Crudun sandwich would basically be a lot of bologna in town. But that's just... You're here all week, yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Paul Moyer, Dave Koontz joining us on this edition of Talking About Cars. A reminder that if you're listening to us on Radio.com, you can check out some of our original previous interviews with the likes of Jay Leno, Richard Carpenter, and the original Wheeler Dealers on iTunes and SoundCloud, but check here first for the latest Talking About Cards updated podcast. And follow us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can watch our videos on Facebook Live and YouTube, and it's all on our website, talkingaboutcars.net. And a quick thanks to our friends for letting us use the room here at KNX 1070 News Radio, the CBS station in Los Angeles. Until next time, I'm Randy Cardoon. Join me as we have some fun talking about cars.